Hey everyone, Tyler here. Before we start today's episode, we wanted to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It really does mean a lot to me, Olivia, and Rebecca. Uh, today's episode is a little special because we recorded it several months ago. We talk about the awesome adventures of Captain Spirit and God of War. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. right now when you're hearing this we don't know uh and this is the greetings from podcast my name is rebecca Fay. i'm joined by two of my very good gaming buddies one of which is a squid kid maybe it's olivia quinn hi are you are you team squid, squid kid now i'm you know i'm team octoling now at this point now that now that the octo expansion's out octoling's all the way okay okay I'm not sure. I actually, I asked you that question, but I actually do not even know what the difference is between them. That's, that's really embarrassing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm also joined by the illustrious Captain Spirit himself, Mr. Tyler Smith. Hello. How are you? Doing well, I hope. Doing well. All right. Let's talk about some games. So, Greetings from Oregon. We all played um, The Amazing Adventures of Captain... No, not Amazing. The Awesome <laughs> Adventures of Captain Spirit. Um, yes. The... What do we want to call it? Sort of an interlude. It was a free interlude released by Don't Nod um, as sort of a prequel to Life is Strange 2. Um, I'm not sure where it falls in the timeline of the Life is Strange series. Um, Olivia, I know that you have played life is strange one and i know that you mentioned you were playing the little prequel that came out um i have never played it and so i was probably the worst person to play captain spirit because i did not know what was going on um but like what where where are we what is this about like what what should we be thinking about as we are entering this child dream so as as a failed human i did i didn't get a chance to play the game but i can i need the new game honestly but i did beat um life is strange one and i know that we had talked a little bit off off uh recording about like hey what's the deal with this game why do people find it endearing and i think for me the key tenets of like why you want to play life is strange is that we got like gay teens which is important like that's number one um number two is like a pretty good soundtrack of like some you know twee hipster indie music and then number three would be um, like we're t- the Pacific Northwest through the lens of like a French game developer who's like <laughs> in his 30s and doesn't like know how to write teens and it's all hella. So those are like the three <laughs> core tenets of what I think Life is Strange is. And I'm I'm really interested to hear from you guys if you think that my ideals of Life is Strange are represented in Captain Spirit. Uh, Tyler, do we how many hellas are in this game? Not one hella. Zero. I it's not a real life is strange game put it in the trash zero hellos yeah there's i think there's a what the hell and you know fuck and jesus christ but oh man outside there also that are, there are no teens also very there are no teens. okay this it is like what are we a, doing here is he what he's eight years old 
I, I think he was like 10. 10. I think there was like, a, it said he was seven in 2014. And I, yeah, I was going to say there's the, in the present question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was really interesting. It didn't really tell you his age, but it gave you a, uh, you know, um, a height chart, like, you know, that his parents would measure how old he was or how high he was uh, every year or whatever. That was kind of cool. And you kind of figure out how old he was from there. Um, but yeah, so it's basically just a, uh, young kid and his dad um but i don't know who should i just start talking about this or did Lily yeah, didn't have any thought oh, okay i'd love to get the pitch on like hey what's like the nut graph of this story like it's a kid who like seems like he has some traumatic experiences and like maybe is a superhero in his free time so i'd love to hear like what what's like your summation of this game um yeah uh this game uh, actually kind of hit a little close to home for me, but uh, it's about this little kid and his father who are just out in Oregon. Um, Beaver Creek? Beaverton? I can't remember. Anyway, uh, it's just about this little kid, and he uses his imagination to kind of go through the day. Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say he escapes reality, but it's kind of it really captures the essence of being a a young person and kind of still having that I can the notion of like I can do magical things with my hands and like affect the world in that way but it's really like all in your imagination um for example he faces a few fears of his um where like inanimate objects will become this super villain that he has to defeat um and he's very like the the very opening intro or scene where you're able to control him the character uh is just him in his room and he's just like playing with his toys and it's really it's really cute and you're like oh this is like bringing back nostalgia of being like a little kid and just doing all like the playing of my own imagination um he's a single kid so he doesn't have any siblings or anything it's just him and his dad uh but yeah that's just kind of how that's what the story is kind of about but it obviously digs in deeper into his relationship between him and his father and what happened to his mother. Um, I don't know, Rebecca, what uh, did you want to jump in here and kind of go further? I mean, it, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I maybe had a different experience than you did. And so I don't know. I'm a little bit more lukewarm on the experience as a whole. Um, I, I'm kind of curious, Olivia, is that concept of sort of childhood trauma or just any kind of like trauma in youth an an aspect of Life is Strange? Because they kind of alluded to the, you know, powers kind of being tied to that. Yeah, I I think in the first two games, like, you know, we're getting into spoilers here. I think we've talked about how these games are a little bit older. But in in the first game, um, one of the key characters is Chloe, who is like a blue haired, like punk rocker girl. And um, her friend Max and her friend Max sees like Chloe get shot. And like, that's where she games for like time reversal powers. And that's like kind of the whole crux of the game is like, hey, they both have like serious childhood issues. Chloe's dad got hit by a car. And like, that's kind of how that story resolves itself is like, hey, we're talking about trauma, trying to like rebuild a friendship. That's, and, um, that's yeah. And, and before the storm, um, we're actually playing as Chloe. And her friend, Rachel Amber, who is, like, this girl that she ends up, like, falling in love with, like, it depending on the choice you make in the game. And I think Rachel is watching the 
her the relationship between her parents fall apart mm-hmm. because of like cheating and other issues like that and there's like some light like you know magical realism in there about like hey like i'm experiencing some trauma and here's how it's manifesting in terms of powers so i would say that is a theme you know i think they don't ever really explain like hey here's where the powers are from it's kind of just like you know used in a gameplay context and never really like fully explored except for like oh there's some like native mysticism happening there but it's interesting that's been about mm-hmm. oh i just it's interesting to hear you mention those specific points because in captain spirit his mother so chris is captain spirit but chris the boy his mother died in, a, in an accident she was hit by a car and the father is like an alcoholic it seemed like him and his parents had a good relationship but now the father is like deep into alcoholism and is like a failed basketball player and he is abusive and I think there was like hints of there being another woman and he's you know what I mean so it it almost Mm -hmm. seems like a very similar parental narrative happening with all these characters yeah um I kind of got the the same thing uh it was it seemed like obviously they were happy family at one time and then about two one or two years ago, things hit the fan when, uh, I guess Chris's mom had to go pick him up for whatever reason, and that's when the car crash happened. And after that, you know, the father blamed Chris for his mother's death, uh, because like she shouldn't have been driving out on those icy roads or something silly, or she wouldn't have been hit by the car. I can't remember if she was driving or if she was just hit, um, by by a random car. But it happened. Um, and then after that, it was like his career tanked uh fell into depression alcoholism lost the house because he wasn't paying mortgage because he was you know all his money was going towards booze and possibly gambling which was kind of alluded to uh the the father in this in the entire game he's just watching tv the entire time and in the background of anything you do even if you're in another room you can still hear the basketball game going on in the background um oh, wow. yeah it's very it's really uh interesting um and kind of real, honestly. But the dad flat out ignores Chris. Um, and he even, like, grabs a bottle of whiskey to, like, drink through the entire day. And he'll slowly start to fall asleep. And that's kind of the end state is when he's asleep and you go to wake him up. But um, while he's, you know, watching the game is when you can go explore the house and do these things. And your quests are kind of cleaning, doing chores and cleaning up the house uh because shit has to get done but the the parent isn't being the parent doing it and so chris he's just a good kid but he knows like he needs to do it it's all about everything he does is trying to please his father because uh the game really actually handles abuse very well uh because it's abusive relationship um and everything that he does is to make sure it's like stepping on eggshells. Okay. I have to make sure I do these things because if I don't, then I might get yelled at. And I actually personally did things in the game that I wouldn't expect myself to do because I remember my past childhood and I didn't, I was abused as well. And I like did things like turn on the light and then I would turn the light off because I was like, if I leave that light on or if I leave all of these lights on, at some point in the game, I was afraid that Chris's father would punish Chris for doing that. And, like, that's a thing that, like, just in my brain, I knew, like, I had to turn these lights off. I had to put everything back in its place. And, like, when I went into, uh, you can go into uh, Chris's dad's room. Uh, it's very private. But I was like, 
you can you can do stuff in his room and i was very hesitant to, to do a few things because i was like you're gonna leave evidence behind that you were in his room and he might not like that and i was like i gotta play it safe and like not do certain things in this room to make sure like i was afraid to do certain things in this game which was really interesting to me like it just affecting me uh personally because normally i figured you know people who might not ex- have experienced the, the abuse in, in any form or shape they might just be like oh whatever turn on the lights you know go through all the things it's a game who like who cares but like i personally felt like any action that i did had severe consequences that were like obviously like you could spill milk and someone could get really fucking angry at you and like hit you just for that um which ha- kind of happens at the end of it when you do, when you progress a story uh, after waking his dad but i don't know rebecca did you did you find yourself doing anything that like tiptoeing in the game did you find yourself doing that as well or was it just me I did it first, um, especially just because they opened the game with, like, you're in your room and then your dad is, like, screaming at you to come to breakfast and it's getting sort of progressively more aggressive in how he's asking you to come out of your room. And so I started to kind of panic and think, like, oh, shit, I guess I shouldn't spend time looking at these things. And, you know, I did the thing where, like, I I, start, I made him the macaroni because I was, like, it was just the way that Chris had been, like, dad always forgets to eat. Like, I guess I should do this. And then I just started doing those things. But then by the end of the game, I, like, stole his cigarettes and was smoking in the treehouse, and so I guess I'm just a bad child. Oh, really? I totally saw, I totally saw the cigarettes, and, and I was like, I'm not touching those because I'm going to get fucking caught, and it's going to be awful. But Nope. Uh, nope. I smoked in the treehouse. <laughs> I'm not a good child. Well, I mean, at that point, though, I mean, the the father's asleep, so yeah. there's, there's a certain point where, like, you can just do whatever the fuck you want, but... what? One thing to your point, though, that I think was really interesting, especially about going into dad's room, was that um, all of the doors in all of the rooms in the house are open except dad's room. Dad's room. Exactly. you go in the door and it closes behind you. And so there's Mm -hmm. always kind of a like a second when you go through the animation of opening the door that like I expected him to be there and be angry at me for being in there because it was closed. But that never actually happened. Obviously, he was, you know, passed out on the couch. but like little kind of uh, touches like that, just in the atmosphere, I thought were really were really clever. Um, it was just kind of a good way to to build that tension, even if it was maybe not. It was not like a real danger, but you just don't know. I mean, I feel like that is very much indicative of abusive relations. Like you never know when that person is going to set off, or you never know what will set that person off, and so you're kind of always on eggshells, expecting the worst. Yeah. What was like the tone of the game in terms of like you actually navigating the house? Was it like a little bit like scary, tension felt horror, or was it just solitude and like sadness? Like Rebecca, what was your take on that? Um, there were some moments that they kind of tried to push as being scary, like um, you get kind of a, a list of tasks that you can do throughout the day, um, and it's a lot of it is the Tyler said like um, chores. Um, but kind of distilled into the way a kid maybe would sort of imagine their way through making something better. Like the hot water heater is broken and, you know, Chris has to go fix it. But for him, it's like, I can't remember what it was called. It wasn't the the water. It was eater. the water eater. Right. He couldn't pronounce heater. <laughs> it was the water eater. <laughs> so like going into the dark room where the water heater was, was like supposed to be tense and scary. But it was, I, you know like Chris was very lighthearted and he was approaching everything through a very lighthearted depiction of things. 
like compared to the dad being very like up and down and like kind of wildly swinging between like hi chris i love you and like you fucking bitch i hate like if you ruin my whole life like switching really hard between those two things and chris was pretty constant like he was seemed like he was doing okay which i think was maybe an issue that i had with it because i think i was going into it expecting a tone of like edith finch where like people you know children dealing with childhood trauma in kind of a more dark way and so like still very imaginative but there's still kind of a level of like self-preservation and kind of horror on top of it and i don't know if i found that personally tyler did you get a different sense of the tone than i did um i actually didn't feel horror at all uh just because as me as an adult and obviously like i knew the water it was just a water heater and like i i understood that this is supposed to be like chris's active imagination just in general scary things in the basement scary things in the dark and as an adult i'm just like okay i know that this is just like it's just for chris it's scary but for me it's not uh i got it was more melancholy than anything else it was very like mundane um the like if if it was ever scary it was just me building tension my own mind by like doing things and praying that i wouldn't set off chris's father um beyond that i mean i i it was very mundane and like there were a few parts that were happy um like i really enjoyed when you went into either the dad's room and put on mom's music or uh went into the tree house and just kind of like looked out over the the landscape as uh Sufan Stevens played like that was really cool um, and enjoyable, but it was very like those. The only time the music was playing was the only time that it was like explicitly happy or like it felt like a a movie. But overall, the tone of it of the game is kind of sad. Uh, it, like nothing. It's not super exciting. Nothing exceptionally good happens. Um, other than maybe like Chris defeating his mortal enemies uh through play um you know him as being captain spirit and and helping his teammates which is little toys fight you know evil doers and um it had some good commentary that i can't quite remember now because it's <laughs> I, it's kind of like small things but it was like you know he was fighting with his toys and it was good versus evil and and i guess one of the evil guys had been a good guy but turned evil and you had a choice to like obliterate him or save him and i chose to obliterate him because i just wanted to see what happens and the bad bad guy was like no you can't kill me because you said you don't kill anyone why are you doing this no and like obviously he dies but it was really interesting kind of hearing that kind of commentary because you would expect chris as a young kid to not really understand those concepts but obviously he's very rooted in uh comics and superheroes and villains and kind of understands the difference between good and evil and what's expected of good people. Um, but, you know, that philosophy of, well, if you're really good, why are you killing someone? was interesting to hear from Chris. Just to build on that, Tyler, because I, I kind of figured this game would be, you know, maybe a kid growing out of these, like, imaginative, like, you know, coping mechanisms. Like, what is the payoff for, like, the Captain Spirit character? Like, is there anything that, like hey, you know, like, you can't always escape from your, like, nightmarish life. Like, do they actually do anything with that? Um, I don't think so. I don't know. Rebecca, do you have any thoughts on... I I can't think of any. 
No, I mean, like, this is sort of the ending spoiler, but I I felt kind of, it seemed very predictable, and I was a little, I guess, let maybe let down. I don't know what I expected to get out of it, but, you know, the, the game kind of closes with the neighbor checking in and being like, I heard a bang, and that was your dad, like, breaking bottles and falling over and cursing at you, and then she, like, is aware that there's kind of an abusive situation going on, and she you know, is like, hey, if you ever need help, you just you can come over anytime. And it gives you the option to kind of lie your way out of the conversation, which I thought was interesting. But then really, no matter what you say, the dad is angry. He's like, well, you could have sent her away. And I'm sure all you want to do is tell her that um, what a shitty dad I am. And then he eventually, the dad sort of just spirals into just saying like, hey, you know, if your mother hadn't had to go get you, she would still be alive. So it's all your fault. Um, and so of course Chris like snaps and he's like, oh no, I'm so sad. And he runs out of the house and goes to climb up his tree house, falls off of the ladder and then has magical powers. He like floats, he doesn't hit the ground. He like floats over the ground and then he like huh. pans and then the neighbor kid is like, hi friend, the end. It was like, what? Yeah. It just, it was just a very weird, it was a very weird ending. And then I, I'm assuming that was just the whole like here's our new character who has new powers and Chris will return in Life is Strange 2. You know what I mean? But that was like, it was just like, what? <laughs> what? What yeah. is the payoff there? Yeah. It, I My theory about this game, why they were making it, like, especially as a free kind of like interlude thing was because Life is Strange always seems so centered around like, you know, Chloe and Max who are the two characters in the first game. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if they kind of just wanted to have something to be like, hey, we want to slowly introduced to this character it's still like the life is strange franchise or however you wanted to find that and like because i feel like if they would have led with this as like the first part of a new game like the fan base probably would have been revolt so that's my theory on what they're trying to accomplish here but mm. it doesn't seem like they really you know have a lot of like narrative oomph when it comes to like hey we're doing something different or we're like trying to like capture a specific aesthetic and it's working 100 correctly like I, life is strange the first one in my experience was a deeply flawed game mm-hmm. that i love passionately and so i wonder if that if this experience elicited any of that for either of you rebecca what did you have any like strong i know you had kind of said it was maybe not meeting all your criteria but did it at least kind of like put some compassion into you yeah i mean i don't think i went into it compassionless and i think they tried to tell a difficult story from the perspective of a child in an interesting way and so i i think there's a lot of credit to be given for trying to give that story legs because that's something that's really hard to cover in any medium not just games but you know because it's a game it's more visceral because you are making the decision to like you know do I do these things because my dad could get mad at me you know what I mean it becomes very realistic it becomes very emotionally driven and so I think that was that was really well done I think and I think the beginning of that game is really strong and you know, there are parts of it that allude to, to things bigger than it, than other things like happening in the world around it. And so I would say I, I really liked that about it. I think I think I went in expecting something different and I was maybe disappointed I didn't get that. But then, you know, hearing you talk about Life is Strange and sort of your experience with it makes me wonder if maybe it just it's just kind of in a, a weird category all its own. And maybe it's not like maybe that's part of the Life is Strange sort of. I don't know, mythos, if it's like, here's a really interesting story, but we're going to not totally tell it in a great way, but we tried. Here it is. Yeah. Um, I, the story wasn't like super amazing. Um, if that's what you're kind of asking, but I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's, 
for what it was, you know, obviously I've never played Life is Strange, so this is my first like Life is Strange game. I don't know the mechanics or how the things in the world worked. Obviously, it's very simple. Just everything was pretty much interactive, um, mm-hmm. and you can like look at things and whatnot. But it's a uh, big game for a free game. Yeah, like, it, I, it is. is surprisingly interactive. Yeah. Um. And uh, so, like, I don't know if you know the interactivity was just because this is Captain Spirit, or if like Life is Strange is the same way, where there's like literally a million things that you can interact with and like do different things with. Um, and like, if you spend too much time interacting with these things, then that means you can't interact with other things down the line. Kind of a deal. I don't know if that's how choices work in Life is Strange, or if that's if that's literally just Captain Spirit. Um, but I mean, the story was what it was. It, it it's. It's a loose story about abuse. Um, I, you know that his father's abusive and that he, he's been abusive in the past, but you don't have any resolution. Uh, mm-hmm. the, there's no Chris overcoming his fear of standing up to his father or Chris's father getting any help or, or anything like that. Um, it, it, it's very just, this is where, this is kind of like the, the, the cornerstone of what this next story is going to be, what Life is Strange 2 is going to kind of deal with. Um, and it seems like they like to use trauma a lot, which is, I mean, that's a, it's a narrative technique, I suppose, but I, there are other ways to, to do something narratively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope like, it's just not all, oh, well, and then like, it's like a soap opera almost, you know, it's like, oh, you have something dramatic happen and then it's okay. But then, oh no, this thing happens. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> and, and and part of the problem too is that none of those things like if you're going to tell a story about abuse and if you're going to set up a situation where you're sort of tiptoeing around a character there was nothing in that game that had any repercussion you know what i mean yeah nothing. like you at could do the end anything. there was nothing i tiptoed yeah. around like there was going to be because i didn't but there, know yeah. but now that i know that there's zero repercussions like you could uh now that I know there's zero repercussions, I've, I'll probably go back and play the game and just be like, oh, I'm going to touch everything because blah. But like, yes. you know, there was a, a soft, uh, uh, a Nerf gun, I guess. And you, you like, your options were to look at it, to inspect it, or to like pick it up and shoot your dad while he's watching the game. And I was like, I ain't fucking touching that gun. <laughs> like, I am not doing <laughs> that because I'm not going to get him pissed at me. Or like, you could even like, even not even doing something as like, I guess, harmful is that there was an option while your dad was watching the game to talk to him while he was watching the game and i was like uh-uh, i'm not talking to him he's watching his 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 uh, basketball game he's got money on this basketball game uh i'm not talking to him about anything right now because like i don't want to interrupt him at all which is also why i didn't make the mac and cheese or like i just didn't i wanted to make the mac and cheese but it was like I, we just had fucking breakfast like why am i making mac and cheese <laughs> He doesn't, uh, anyway. if he, he doesn't respond, so if you try to talk to him, you just go like, Dad, Dad, and then either he'll be like, look, I know what you're doing, don't bother me, or he'll just, like, talk to the game. That's it. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, there's just a certain thing. So, like, I just, personally, it was like, my for my first playthrough, I didn't do too many things. Like, I never got the access code to the phone. Um, I that never... That was dumb. Full stop, that was dumb. I had to look it up, and it still does not make sense how you were supposed to figure that out. How many, like, was it, was it, is it your standard, like, four characters is a code? No. Or is it, like, no, I could have typed was, in, I typed in, like, five, five, and, like, I just went, I kept typing five, and it, like, went all the way across the bar, and I'm like, oh, hell no. If there's a fucking, like, if this is going to be an SQR code or something stupid, like, I'm not going to go find this shit. No, um, it's, so, the comic, Hot Dog, 
hot dog man or whatever that he loves, that's the code. So you have to put that into numbers. The way you would like dial oh, a number Jesus. with the letters. I would I have, never I get that. I had to that. look it up. I was like, what? I would and never get that. You literally just play the hot dog man game on your phone. Okay. Did you read that comic? I'm sorry, this is like off topic, but did you read the hot dog man comic? Was it a little adult for a child? Because it got a oh, little yeah. weird. I think it was like, I was reading this and I was like, hold on here, wait. Uh, so Olivia, there's a, there's a hot dog. Is it, is okay. So is the hot dog a thing in Life is Strange 2 or is this just Captain Spirit? It's hot dog man. So hot dog man has been on like t-shirts and stuff like that. And like in the background on posters. And I don't, in my recollection, I don't think they ever had like a legit, like here's what hot dog man is. (laughs) So if they actually have a comic about him, that's kind of They have a comic about hot dog man. There's a phone game about hot dog man also. Yeah. Course but the is. comic kind of starts off like very like childish and it's like a hot dog man i think he's i can't remember exactly now but he's like driving and there's a mustard person and he hits a mustard person and like the mustard person kind of like poops their pants or something and it's like but like the rep- the representation of him pooping his pants or peeing or something is like his he's an so inverted bad. mustard bottle so like the the opening is at the bottom and like mm-hmm. he's laying on the road and like there's there's like mustard coming out of him i was like, like is this for kids i don't think so <laughs> it was weird it's horny as fuck. And, I like, know. The, and like the mustard man or the mustard guy he's not dead or anything but like he's got so scared that he like pooped himself on the road and he's like the hot dog man is like i want some of that or something stupid i can't remember it's just it was, so it was, bizarre because so you know hot fo- dog and ketchup you know it's like yeah oh my God. that makes sense the phone game is Hot dog man riding on the back of the mustard guy, and you have to like it's almost like Flappy Bird except without the top part. So you have to like hop over stuff, oh, okay. and you do so by the mustard guy can like rock it off the ground using his mustard spout. And I'm super. The, you jump over. This, you jump over grills and you pick up mustard. Pa- I don't know. I it's too much. It's too much. <laughs> this series has always had like such a weird sense of humor, and like the writing has always been like a little off, in my opinion. In terms of like, here's what teens sound like, which I don't think is accurate in any way. Hello. So I, yeah, hello all the time. Um, I I do wonder, you know, they've had weird like the last episode of Life is Strange, um, the first series was just like a weird fucking nightmare that Max is living with her time travel powers, and there's like a character that like talks like a gorilla and is just like running after you, what? and it's like a weird survival horror thing. Yeah, so like this game has a history of being fucking bizarre. Huh. Okay, so I'm not well, super surprised. There's another comic too. So his mom, Chris's mom, was actually like a, a comic artist or illustrator. She was an artist in general, and she made these little comics. Um, if you ever if you go into the garage, she makes these. Uh, they're like a, a stack of comics or whatever that. Oh, his mom I know made. what you're talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. And one of them is, like, really cute. It's like, oh, this is, you know, how we met and blah, blah, blah. But then there's another comic that's, like, uh, it's, like, noises. It's the it's literally, like, noise sounds. And then the baby starts crying. Little Chris is crying because he's a baby. And, uh, you know, off screen, the little speech bubbles are like, well, it's your turn to take care of him and check on him. And, like, the next panel is basically the dad in... Uh, just wearing boxers, has a police cap on, like a just like, uh, and then has handcuffs on his on his hands, like a, a detached handcuffs, and he's like, "Well, what do you want?" And like, you know, uh, yeah, they were obviously like having sex, like with the baby, and the baby woke up, and it was like really that was weird. And he's like, Chris's commentary is, 
Oh, I don't understand this one. I think I'm too young for this. And it's just like, okay. Um, Tyler, one of the things I was thinking a lot about, because, you know, I have an alcoholic parent, and I think it was like a pretty difficult experience for me growing up. Um, In terms of your, you know, how this resonates with you and your real experience, was it like actually like respectfully done? Like, I know you were talking about how you, you know, maybe emulated some behaviors of the past because you felt like, that tension coming back. I just wanted to kind of just get one last read on yeah, that no. and just see if like um I would I would say so uh I, but I make it I feel like if you're someone who hasn't had an abusive parent or um you don't you might not really pick up on all the subtleties. Uh I feel like they did a really good job of it though because they they make sure that you know that certain things you could do might piss your father off um mm-hmm. which might lead to abuse and it's not like the abuse is implied when you literally the after the opening scene of you be, of chris being in his room it's it's breakfast time with his father you can see on chris's arm he's got bruises and his father you know asks about it and uh he's like are you still are you okay does it still hurt and you have options you could either like reassure your father like pretend that nothing really happened and like oh it's okay dad no big deal or you can like flat out be like no it still hurts and uh you know the chris's response the father's response is uh well i and he pauses he starts to apologize but then he changes it and says well you shouldn't have gotten uh hurt or something and it's like what like it's not Anyway, it's, it's kind of just like turning it back on the child. Yeah, pretty much. basically, mm-hmm. like yeah. you know, the Chris's uh, Chris's father is not actually taking blame. He starts to, but then he like stops himself and he's like, "No, it's your fault." He turns it on to the child, and it's not like an, an aggressive thing or anything. He's just literally like, "Oh well, you it's it's your you know you shouldn't get hurt again or whatever. Right. You shouldn't do those I, I things think... again that made me mad right. to hurt you." Kind of a deal. So I can't think of any other game that's like tried to capture like alcoholism especially with like a parental like child relationship uh you know I, I know like we talk about heavy rain i think that's one thing that comes to mind but papo yo i think is one of them although no, that one that game that one kind of turns it around because you're like fighting a monster and the monster is sort of the personification of the father's alcoholism yeah. but that that's another one kind of in that that zone i gotta play that game. isn't it like a platformer um yeah, it's, it's yeah. a 2d side scroller yeah isn't it? I think so. I it's been a while. I I haven't played out. the game, but I <laughs> I I love it. I've seen people play it, and I I love the developer. Um, but I haven't played it personally, so I know that it is about an abusive father who drinks alcohol. Um, but I haven't personally had my hand in it, so I would like to play that as well. Mm. So, and it's not that long either. I don't think it's only like maybe Mm-mm. five hours, even. So, but yeah, were there any like? animal persona like because in the first two games it's like oh chloe's represented by like or max represented like a like a deer and chloe's got like a butterfly kind of symbology is there anything like that in the game not Um, that spirit animal no not in that way if there's anything that like is representative maybe it's his cape like he doesn't feel like he's a superhero without his cape that's about it there's no real animal other than like maybe a raccoon in the garage but it wasn't like a spirit animal you never see it it's just implied that oh well there's a raccoon in here but it's not like captain spirit or chris is a raccoon you know right <laughs> he's not a what is it he's not a um 
what are they called? Garbage rat. I can't remember what the fuck. Oh, called. trash panda. Trash panda. Yeah, Chris is not a trash panda. So they there was a lot of like there was a lot of bear imagery. So I don't know if that's like something that will come out oh, that's later. True. And then like the so Captain Spirit, quote unquote, his sort of superhero team were all animals kind of but it was like animals in the sense that like one was a talking dinosaur and one was a scorpion you know what i mean like that was like the that was sort of that was the full stop like that was it gotcha yeah there wasn't anything like a patronus or embodiment of a single like animal it was just little things i feel more like if everything was gonna be a symbolic thing was gonna be his cape so hmm but yeah I just realized that the other game we're going to talk it's, about today I know. is I was thinking dads. that too. <laughs> it's a dad day. It's a dad cast. Dad cast. <laughs> well, I mean, Father's Day was this month, so. It's all about dads. Yeah. So I guess, um, oh, man, I can't believe we, how, how do we not, how do we miss putting these two games together? <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> we, well. We, we want to talk from, about God of War. Yeah. Greetings from Midgard. Let's fucking talk about greetings God of War. Greetings from Midgard. Um, uh, shall we set the stage? So, God of War is technically God of War 4, but we're just starting over from the beginning. New team, new studio, new name, who dis? Um, Kratos, obviously, from the, the end of God of War 3, where he was, like, perpetually being kicked out and, like, getting coming back and getting kicked out again, um, is now fully all out. He is so out, he's in another pantheon now! We're going to Norstown. <sighs> Man, this is a game about shitty dads. Right. <laughs> well, so uh, I guess I'll just kind of jump in here because I you go you guys have both played the God of Wars in the previous era, correct? I played I played one and two. Some of them. Okay. Well, I haven't played any of them, so this is my first God of War game. Um, and as my first God of War game. I mean, I obviously God of War. He's a, he's kind of like a household name. He's big. It's branded. I know what kind of goes on. He's a <laughs> he's god. He's big. He's got white skin. Who is he? It's Kratos. <laughs> yeah, it's Kratos. It's Daddy. <laughs> Daddy's home. Um, God of War Four. Dad's home. <laughs> uh, but you know, I haven't. I don't really know his story beyond that. He is a god who's literally just all about vengeance and brutality and like violence. Um, so seeing him in this new setting where he is a father, um, was really interesting to me. Uh, and I actually, I overall enjoyed the game. Like I thought it was really beautiful, but starting off, it was kind of like, dude, you're a fucking dick. Uh, <laughs> like, well yeah not knowing not knowing like, who god, kratos is awful. i was like god. god you're a fucking dick this is your goddamn son because uh, there's a lot of at the very beginning you know there's a lot of tension between him and his son um just to kind of set up the story it's 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 spoiler but it's not because it literally happens within the first five seconds of the game um kratos's uh wife passes away um what was his the son's name again atreus atreus, atreus. atreus. that's right and Atreus' mother, he, they, she just passed away, and it opens up with them kind of doing a ritual um, uh, pyre burning of her body, and they're, the goal of the game, or like the, the plot point throughout the entire game, is to bring her ashes 
to the highest uh, point in all of Midgard, which is on this mountain. And so basically the whole game is that journey to the mountain. Um, what were your guys' impressions of this game, having played uh, the previous yeah. ones, having known I, Kratos? I think we need to... Uh, Rebecca, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this, but mm-hmm. in the first two games, there's like fucking mini games yeah. where it's like mm-hmm. Kratos like rolls up on a bed with like oh, two yeah. like, he topless fucks? ladies. Yeah, yeah, Kratos oh. fucks for sure. Get it on and, with the um, Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my gosh. And basically... Basically, what it is is that like Kratos is like, mm, I'm gonna fuck, and then like, <laughs> about, like, no, it's really bad. It's like early PlayStation bad, you know? Oh, yeah, it, and then like it, the camera like pans away to like a, uh, um, like a side table with a vase on it, and then it's like a, uh, quick time event of you like pressing buttons, and then you're hearing like cooing and like sex noises and stuff like that <sighs> until the. <laughs> And so, like, the vase on the, the side table, falls like, falls over. off, and it's, like, oh you get experience points for fucking. And, like, I think that's, like, the point that I want, that we need to understand that it comes from this place, and that it's gotten to the point where it's trying to tell, like, a pretty endearing story about, like, a father and son and, like, weird f- familial trauma that's being carried on through generations. Yeah. And I'm for it to get to that point is kind of amazing and not what I expected at all from this game. Um, like, I know people were hyped about it, but I didn't really think it would be much more than what it was in the past. Could you, real quick, since I haven't played the games, could you talk a little bit about the misogyny that were in the previous games? I know it's had a history of that, but I don't I don't fully understand or know exactly how since I haven't played it. Them. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, sorry. No, you, I think you have a better sense of it because my my sense of the misogyny in the previous games is that and in the previous games and in this one, there was a lot of murdering women to tell the story of a stupid asshole. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, I, I think just, like, the the random fucking is, like, a little weird. And, like, not something that is, it's really out of place, you know? Like, you'll be fighting a ship. Like, you'll be fighting a hydra on, like, a ship across the ocean. And then it's just like, mm, I gotta fuck. Like, that's kind of, like, the... <laughs> attitude that kratos has in some of the first original games um you know i think we're talking about like fridging in terms of like hey his wife and children are murdered by zeus and then like that's all they really are there for like kratos kratos relationship with his wife is never really explored and like i think three may touch on this a little better i haven't played it but you know in my experience of the first two games it was kind of just like oh kratos is white because he's covered with the ashes of his children and like wife and weird shit like that and it just seems like a game that doesn't really have a place for women you know i would argue that maybe even the new god of war has issues with that as well No, it definitely does Uh, it does and like the um i think you know your main the the person who's like kind of manipulating along throughout the entire two games is like athena who's like oh i'm gonna like pull the strings behind to kind of make kratos kill and then like that plot point is never really resolved besides she's just like oh she's just tricky that's athena you got got like and that's about the extent of like those are the women in the game that's it like there really isn't much else going on there in terms of like female representation and i think that's kind of shitty considering that like we're looking at you know assassin's creed odyssey where it's like we have a female play old spartan and you know i know it's a different time but they could have been a lot better with that Mm -hmm. in my opinion i agree i still and i Uh, i don't understand like the dissonance between my wife and daughter were murdered by Zeus, and they're, well, they were not, te- I mean, technically he murdered them, that was a long story, but, like, I'm covered in the ashes of my family, let's fuck. What? Like, what? <laughs> well, I mean, he's, like, toxic 
toxic masculinity right. like, embodied, it's just, right? It's just like it's just such a silly like it's just such a silly concept to me. Well, like you think Luke and David Jaffe, like the original creator of the game, who went on to go do like Drawn to Death, yeah, and you can kind of see yeah, like you can where see this... where that went. Uh huh. Right. I think it's in better so. hands in the hands of Corey Barlog. Like, I think that dude seems like one of the nicest people in the industry right now. But I think it's interesting to see how the fridging aspect hasn't died, even if the like fucking aspect maybe did. Yeah, and like. I, I think starting off with like Kratos relationship, like Kratos relationship with his wife and like Atreus's relationship with, you know, his mom, mm-hmm. it, it, you really, you know, I, I, I'm guessing this is probably intentional. You're supposed to feel like, oh, there's this, like, we're missing a character here that played a really important life part in both of their lives. And like, I, I feel like the, you know, development of Kratos as a character, like the only real, like I'm mourning is, you know, Atreus is like, you don't care about any of this. And Kratos is like, I mourn in my own way. You mourn in yours. And like, you know, I don't know what I'm expecting from a guy who fucks like in the middle of a battle, but I just kind of wish that we had gotten a little bit more of like, hey, you know, Kratos has changed significantly as a person. He's become like another a dad again. He's like, you know, moved across universes. Like, I really was hoping that we'd get some kind of revelatory moment where it's like, hey, Kratos gets to reflect on like, here's who I've become. And like, here's this like a really strong relationship I had, allegedly, that never really gets explored. I was wondering if you guys felt that, you know, tension of like Kratos never really getting a chance to talk about his wife. I'm like, who is this mythical woman who just like allegedly kicked ass and like was there raising a child and stuff, but we're not going to talk about her in any way. Well, yeah, it's interesting because she's there at the beginning of the game and then she's there at the end of the game and not physically. It's just, that's when she's talked about or like, that's her, her only like real presence in the game is the beginning and the end. Cause the beginning you're like, okay, it's the mom. And this is what happened. And she's literally just like a plot point. Let's move the story along because, you know, she's the whole reason for this entire story. And at the very end of the game, she, you, her like identity is revealed. Um, and it's like, oh gosh, well, she also had secrets too. And like, she, you know, she's not who she, we thought she was. Um, and it's just kind of interesting that other than that, literally not talked about at all or like not relevant at all throughout the entire game. Um, and then the only other woman or presence, female presence, you know, is the, the witch in the woods. Um, and even then she's literally only, she only comes in to advance the plot. It's not like, I mean, like I understand some, some characters are just going to advance the plots. I understand that. But like, it's still there's other things that happen later on in the game that it's like why is this going yeah. the way it is i i think we should speak openly about spoilers here yeah. and i think that we should have that like kind of this is your cutoff point if you haven't played god of war like we're going to talk about this for the rest of the the podcast pretty much yeah, yeah. time to, so, time to turn yeah. off yeah but when we talk about the witch of the woods it seems like you know She's a rational person who yeah. escaped Zeus for hundreds of, or, you know, a hundred years. Mm-hmm. I, I can't Thor. remember the exact timeline. Thor, line. not Zeus, yeah. right? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, Thor. And so, you know, she's a rational person. She's like a magician who has like exceptional talents. She cares about other creatures. Like yeah. the, you kind of get this introduction with her of like, oh, this god was transformed into a pig and you shot it. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, and then to see her reduction 
into like mm-hmm. I'm a mom and this is my mom phase and she he should kill me blah blah. I'm not just a mom. Like, it, I'm a protective mom. Like <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. It just seemed like totally antithetical to like who the character was, and yeah. it really like bothered me. Did you guys get like Rebecca? Did you get that feeling at all in terms of like hey you seemed like someone who had like motivations and now you're just like mom mode. It it bothered me from the myth perspective because I I mean I don't know how familiar you guys are with the the Eddas and like the sort of traditional tellings. But the witch of is Freya, obviously, and she's sort of a weird distillation of Freya and Frigg in like one like we just kind of ignored that those were two different people and just put them into one. And I think there's even a, a dialogue with Mimir the head who's like, Yeah, that's not true. They were never one they were always one person. People just made it up, like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I remember that. That that aside, I feel like and and maybe I'm wrong in my reading of this, but I was always under the impression that so Baldur, who is her son, uh, Balder was literally the golden god. He was loved by everyone. And so the, in order to have made him um, unable to be killed, the story is that she and all of the gods had to ask every single thing that existed to be willing to protect him. So they went to everything in the whole world and said, like, protect, will you protect Balder? And they went to everything except for the mistletoe because the mistletoe was too young and they thought, well, that's whatever, we're going to ignore that. Obviously fatal flaw, but whatever. And so, you know, that was something that was done out of love and that was something that was done to make Balder um, like one of the greatest of the gods. And so that was why it was such a tragedy that when he when Loki kills him in the, in the Edda, that like that's sort of the fall of Loki in a lot of ways and, you know, that's what kind of breaks his bond with the other gods. And so it was really hard for me to see that distilled into you're a bad parent because you tried to protect your son. And then seeing Balder go through the whole, like, how could you do this to me? Like, I couldn't feel, I can't, I don't feel like I'm alive. You know what I mean? It was just like, what? Wait, what? Like, that? what? That just, what? <laughs> it was, I don't know, it was upsetting to me to see that kind of turned around and made into, like, you are an abusive mother. You know what I mean? Because I, oh, oh yeah. sorry, that made me so. Yeah, I was like so upset about what they did there. Like leaning into the trope of like overprotective mom yeah. who's like meddling in their children's lives, and I feel like maybe they're trying to draw some parallels to like, hey, here's what like the Greek, you know, pantheon did in terms of like, you know, Zeus always playing a role in fucking with people. Yeah, but. You know, I still think that, like, the characterization that they show in the beginning of the game with her is, like, the Witch of the Woods. Mm-hmm. And even when you go back and she's like, oh, shit, get rid of these arrows. They're made of mistletoe. Right. Um, it just seems like a total, like, I didn't get there. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of, like, hey, watching her become this, like, you know, mom who's like, let me die. And also, like, I can't see rationally. And, like, maybe they're trying to get a point about parenthood. But, yeah. you know, it's only, like... Freya is the only character who really does that. Everyone else still has other no, motivations. And it, so. it just kind of completely blindsides you too because when you're in the underworld, it's like when she's revealed, her motives are revealed to like, oh, this is why I did the things I did. And like, I'm just trying to be a good mother for you. And like, mm-hmm. you know, and then I don't know, maybe it's also kind of where you see she changes a bit because I believe Baldur's like, can you please take it away? And she's like, no, I'm not going to because I, I love you. But it's still like her heart's in a good place. And then you just, you meet her finally, you know, the last battle or whatever. And it's like, who the fuck is this person? Cause she's not the person that we've yeah. been, you know, dealing with this entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then the, 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 <laughs> I'd say choice lightly because there is no choice, but uh, you know, when you finally do kill Balder, I tried, like I literally sat there with my controller and I was like, I don't want to fucking, 
do this, but I had to to progress the story, and it was like, why? <laughs> but whatever. And like Baldur's motivation is to like find someone who can kill him, right? Like that's his whole goal well, it's in that game. Kind kind of. I feel like his motive was to finally feel again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but only since... a god could like bring the beat down, right? Because everything he's tried everything else, and like he literally can't feel anything. He's perpetually numb, um, until he gets hit with mistletoe, and then he's like, ah. And but uh, who knew it was mistletoe all along? But um, so, the yeah, second I don't, they gave I, the kid the arrows, I was like, I shouldn't have read the myths because this is the game is over for me now. Yeah, I, <laughs> like, I didn't know check. at all. I thought they were like, I honestly thought they were like jade arrows, like arrows made out of stone or something. I didn't understand that they were mistletoe. So that was kind of like a surprise to me, I guess. I I didn't I didn't catch it. But uh anyway. It just seems like those character motivations are just like all over the place sometimes. Like, you know, Balder gets his goal. He decides to he starts to feel and he's like, "Ah, oh, I can feel everything now. The power." And he kind of like goes crazy. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, "Okay, this wasn't really explained that this is what would happen." Mhm. Yeah. I, so, I don't know. And it it was weird that there was also a tertiary storyline going on with um the sons of thor just like being mad and like being like hey odin isn't cool with you being here so we're just gonna be a boss you you have to fight six times throughout the game that was like what i feel like they were also kind of there for maybe the future because it's a motivation for thor to come and kick your butt i guess but like i don't it forces kratos to continue being the god killer like it prevents him from getting out of the cycle of being a god killer right which it seems like he had done for quite some time he's obviously much older time has passed i feel like Mm -hmm. between god of war and god of war 3 like maybe 40 years 20 years has passed and he's like this humble old man now well i shouldn't say humble he's the crotchety old man now who's like i just want to fucking live my life in peace and like that's it um but obviously old habits die hard and he's thrown back into the ring again. But uh Is it is it bad if I tell you I don't understand the progression of time? Not in the sense of like literal progression of time, but they after Atreus finds out that Kratos is a god and that also makes him a god, it's weird because the distillation of like magic doesn't quite make sense to me because Kratos himself is only half. Like he's a demigod. He's not his like right. one of his parents was human, right? right. And so distilling that down further obviously atreus one of his parents she was a giantess but not a god so now he's like a quarter and so then there was kind of a plot line about like or like a boat dialogue i think about how like oh well we're immortal now except we can be murdered and so then it was like well how is kratos like how is kratos old and then how and the tree and i just like i spent a while kind of being like how does this line up? Like, how does he become old? Like, is he just going to die of old age? Do God die of old? Does that count? What? I don't know. That was like such a small thing, but that like bothered me for some reason. It seems like the, like even in the literal sense of like, Hey, here's how time works where it's like, Oh, you're jumping across worlds and times like changing differently in different spaces. Mm-hmm. I was like, is this all just one really long day? Like, is that what the, it did kind of seem like, that I know way. That- <laughs> I, I know that's not what they were going for. Like, I know that, like, you know, progression of time is super hard. And would it have really, like, benefited this game to have, like, a day-night cycle? But, you know, Atreus's turn and, like, how long they're on this journey, I feel like kind of matters. Because they, 
It's like, oh, hey, we're leaving our house and we're going to go to like this. We're going to meet a giant. We're going to meet gods. We're going to travel across the plains. We're going to climb a mountain. We're going to get some superpowers. Like it just all seems to escalate so quickly. Yeah. Like that's a video game. I understand that. But I wish I could have understood like, hey, here's how long we've been in this. Because especially when Atreus learns that he's a god and and takes that like, I'm a god. I get to do what I want. Shut the fuck up, Dorf. Like that just seems such a weird. That was a really. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Without really a lot it of was like, like hey, a, here's how this character got here. Yeah, it was a really rapid per- progression from there. It was just like, uh, okay, this is kind of uh, not well thought out writing at this point in time. Like, it doesn't really make any sense because, you know, Atreus, just because, I don't know, I, I could understand where they might get the idea that Atreus might become full of himself suddenly, but also that's not who he is. Like, it, it kind of conflicts with his personality. Even if he is powerful, he wouldn't necessarily lash out in that way maybe if there's something else had happened you know and he was like i'm a fucking god you bitch like i i right. kind of get it but literally he's just told oh yeah you're a god and like he turns around he's like fuck you dwarf it's like okay i think to me i almost want to wave that away a little but i think it would be easier if there was more context for it like i was sort of reading it as you know he's a god like he just found this out about himself he just found this out about his father and um throughout the game i mean he he changes like a little but for the most part they portray kratos as being very cold and very stern and like very uh not interested in the affairs of people lesser than him and so it almost seems like yeah the way that you would see a child kind of parrot their parent because that's like how that's their only frame of reference but i feel like the one thing that they never describe is Atreus's relationship with Kratos growing up because it makes it seem like Kratos was just an absentee father who just like decided to come back at the last minute. Because even in the beginning when it's like, show me what your mother taught you in my mind, I'm like, why did she just raise him alone? And then, and then Kratos is like, Oh, but your mother, I was my true love. But it's like, but you were never here. And he like, doesn't really know you, but maybe if Atreus had learned that coldness from his dad and had been able to be like, but this is how you be a God because this is how you've always been with me. Then I would be like, get it. Yeah. I understand why that kid's shitty. Totally makes sense. But it's like, it was just missing to me that piece. Yeah. Even, even after he's like, stop. He's like, Oh, I'm not going to be a shitty Atreus anymore. He's still like, he's like, Oh, that wasn't me. I don't know what happened there. And I feel like if we could have gotten some more context as to like, Hey, here's why I was thinking this way. And here's the behavior modeling for me and why I'm doing it. Like, that would have been enough for me to feel like, okay, the character got to this point because of here. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like, oh, I'm a god now, and I'm just going to be a fucking asshole because all gods are. Which, right. maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe that's how they wanted us to read it, but I don't think there was enough evidence there to support it. Because even Lemire is like, oh, kid, you're walking a dangerous path. Like, stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's also true because he's seen how his dad, you know, acts. But then he's also seen how other gods at that point had also acted. Because I believe it's right after the fight with uh, uh, the two brothers of thor um and so maybe it's kind of like well i'm a god i should act like this and also i think he also met balder too but um you know it's just like why if you've seen those gods and you know that they are not necessarily good um why would you decide to mimic them it's just kind of like disjointed because i don't know it's just like why still would you you know copy them their attitude it's Another thing, like, just as you were saying that, this reminded me. So, 
um, the whole sequence of they have to save Atreus because the fact that he doesn't know he's a god is causing, like, dissonance because he has, like, a sense of power but believes that he is just average and, like, that is causing him to sort of mentally break down. So they do reveal that um, Freya is a goddess at that point when he wakes up. But it's interesting that, you know, to read it from the perspective of, like, okay, who would Atreus have as, you know, examples of who gods are? It's Kratos, who's an asshole. It's Magni and Modi, who are, like, sadistic assholes. It's Balder, who is, like, off his hinges. But then there's, like, lovely Freya, who up until that point had been really nice and accommodating. And, like, that was, like, just, like, whatever, she's not important. Which seems almost like another means to fridge her influence. Like, whatever, it's fine, she's not important. But these mm-hmm. evil men have showed me how to be an evil man. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely could see like that. That's like an oversight, you know, because actually he does when he starts getting like he starts getting ill, you know, and he sees Freya. And then like when they reveal he's a god, he actually starts taking like the negative aspects of everyone else around him and like doesn't include any of like what Freya was trying to teach him. Yeah. And like that sucks. That really sucks. <laughs> it was um, they almost could have. I feel like if they had. Well, I can't say if, but since they chose to take Freya down the path of, hey, your son Balder, you tried to do everything for him, but maybe you fucked up, which is normal because parenting is hard and kids are hard. You know, it almost seems like it could have been an opportunity to be like, okay, not like we need to have new mom syndrome, but it would give her an opportunity to be like, hey, you know, in the back of my mind, maybe I made a mistake and this kid needs some kind of positive influence because his dad is shitty. You know, maybe here with this child, I could be that force of good. And then that also didn't really, that just kind of fell apart too. <laughs> yeah. I think I want to talk about the dwarves because I really liked them. Like yes. best vendor award, I think. I, mm-hmm. And like their relationship blossoming. And like, you know, I know it was a little like stereotypical in terms of like, oh, we're brothers and we're fighting and like, we're going to come back together to save you. And like, even the, that's the payoff for Atreus being a fucking asshole, mm-hmm. which isn't super great. But I still think most of the characterizations of the dwarves and, like, the way that they give you more information mm-hmm. was super interesting and, like, not something that I'd seen in a lot of other games. Tyler, do you have any strong feelings about the dwarves? I mean, I enjoyed them. I actually like their character progression because, um, you, you know, it starts off as, like, well, they're two brothers and they have opposing opinions or something. Some, they had a fallout and they were they were used to be really great brothers and or friends, I should say. And then they uh, had a falling out and they're kind of like disjointed. And one has like a very um, cleanly OCD personality. And the other one's like, I don't fucking care. I just want to get the job done. I don't care if there's grime or grease or anything. Um, so they're kind of polar opposites, but they they slowly over the course of the game come together. Um, I, I like their personality. They were pretty both. They were both funny in their own unique way. Um but but yeah, I don't know, Rebecca. What do you think about that? Uh, I I would say Brock and Cinder were probably my my favorite characters in it, um, for the reasons that you described. And I think just the it just the way that they their writing was so good. <laughs> like their yeah, writing was. was like way better than it had any right to be. And I just I think it was interesting the way that they made them like they used them to introduce gameplay aspects in a in kind of an interesting way. So the fact that like you know, Kratos and Atreus would go through, like, absolute hell to get to a point, and then, like, Brock would just be there with a shop set up, and it would be like, what, what? Like, what are you doing here? And it's, like, a long time before they ever kind of are like, oh, yeah, by the way, we have these magical doors that we can phase in out of reality. Like, don't ask questions, it's fine. Um, 
like that that was really funny because i it was in, like i thought it was funny seeing kratos get like progressively angrier the more he ran into them in like weird places like especially when you go to alfheim and it's like full of bugs and it's awful but there were just so many like i feel like there were so many moments that i came out of the game having love that were like brock and Sindri moments like i think of brock's introduction when atreus says like have you ever named your pet and he's like no maybe you should think of a name how about fucking gratitude like come here fucking gratitude i like that (laughs) and then there's another one when you go to um the giant's corpse and you run into Sindri, and he's like really chipper and he throws an apple at um kratos and kratos literally just puts his axe up when the apple just slices over it and you just see him full pan like go that was a waste of a perfectly good apple like it was just (laughs) so good consistent writing for them that they to me they just really shown and i just loved like the interactions with them and like seeing atreus be cruel to sindri just that was one of the hardest parts it really broke my yeah. yeah like he didn't he was such a good character sindri's the real mom Kind of. I think so. Like, maybe it's just like, I know they were brothers, but it seems like we should just replace everyone with my two dads, Brock and Sindri. Exactly. (laughs) And I I think it kind of leads into like the Mimir like conversation because Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, in terms of like giving more exposition and not just having it be like a book you have to read, Mm -hmm. like, I feel like this game didn't have, like, it did have like, you know, text journals of like, oh, here's the traces drawing and like what you need to know. But in terms of like, hey, here's some backstory, here's some exposition. Like, I feel like Mimir was like a super smart addition to the game yeah. in terms of like this talking ahead, you know, us running into the like opening of the um, like story beats, like those little uh, like here's an ancient myth. And it's like in the wooden um, kind of whatever it would be. Uh, that was really, really cool. I really liked that. And like Mimir was always like a funny, like had a little like line to throw at them and watching Kratos is like shut up head was like really, really endearing to me. Yeah, I, those boat sequences were really good. Just like the way they were designed and, you know, whether or not uh, Mimir was there, but doing using those as times to tell story, but then also having the ability of like, you can get out of the boat and they'll just, they're like, okay, well, we'll just so continue we'll this next time. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I thought that was a really good um, vehicle for narrative because uh, it wasn't like an audio log or something you just pick up and it's like, here is the story of this time I did these things. And like, it just keep going and going and going. Like it was a really good, they, the developers knew that you were going to be traveling a lot in this. Even I mean, you could, you could eventually fast travel, but they, they knew you're going to be like going on foot to these places. And it was a really good, again, vehicle or design to, to have these narrations told while you were traveling and not have them necessarily interrupted when you were done traveling to the place. Um, and it's just like Mimir was a, like almost a fourth dad. You have you have Kratos, you have Sindri and Brock, and you have Mimir, uh, Mimir for for Atreus to be like these are my fathers. Yes, I'm surrounded by dads. My four dads. All dads. <laughs> four dads and one godchild. Uh-huh. Did you guys feel positively about the combat in terms of like, hey, here's? Did you get it? Like, was uh-huh. it uh, pretty self? explanatory because i feel like maybe i until i had to start fighting the valkyries and like learning the systems i was like oh i can just like kind of burn through everything um with the axe and like or my fists and everything and i bought like all of the upgrades but mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like until i was really challenged i had to learn everything and i was wondering how what your experience with the combat was i well, think from a oh, go, oh sorry go, go ahead, ahead. Tyler. no are you sure you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah i'll go i'll go next because i haven't i have feelings on it so 
I feel like my biggest issue was, like, I thought the game was really fun. Like, I really enjoyed playing it. But when I started fighting the Valkyries, that was when the game kind of fell apart in terms of its design. Because, like, you realize more and more that a lot of the enemies were reused. There wasn't a lot of, like, you know, you fight um, Magni and Modi more than once. You fight Baldur more than once. Um, you know, your big boss battle of, you know, trying to get the heart of the bridge guardian of Helheim was the same troll you fought a million times. And so, you know, I think that was where the combat fell apart, where in the beginning I thought it was really challenging and, you know, it was really interesting how they had a bunch of different enemies that required you to do different things like with your axe and use, you know, I think that they used Atreus in a really good way. Like, I think that combat was really interesting, you know, knowing that like this you can't kill until Atreus hits it, like that whole stuff. I thought that was really well done until the Valkyries proved that like that was really what I wanted my combat interactions to be like was like that level throughout the whole game and not kind of put into like side stuff. Well, what about the travelers? Uh, so I just outleveled them and then just <laughs> used true. rage. That was the end. That's true. They they the scared thing. the shit out of me. The first one I ran into, I was not expecting. Um, so yeah. I just like whipped around and then it was like, Oh no. And then I was just absolutely murdered. Yeah. 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 No, I totally understand. Um, so for me, not having played, god of war in the past i had this idea god of war is all about these you know stringing combos together and it's just like no combat downtime and like you're just wrecking and wiping people all over the place and so when i started this game i had such a hard time with the combat i don't know what it was but like it wasn't necessarily that i was like dying necessarily but it was that i could not i felt so slow that I wasn't connecting as well as I could have. Like, I, I literally was just pressing... Uh, I don't know what the attack button was, but it was just, I was just pressing the attack button. And I know I could block and, like, do other things like that, but it didn't flow very well because I didn't have, like, access to the skill tree yet. And I had just the... Combat was very difficult for me for, like, the first five to ten hours of this game, which is really frustrating. Like, I felt like I was just kind of hitting my head against the wall trying to you go into combat with these things. Uh, what I did appreciate, though, was when I did go down, uh, my health bar would... Like, if my... if My my health bar and my rage bar would be replenished uh, when I, like, revived. So if I had full health at the start of the encounter but had, like, a sliver of the rage meter, if I failed then both my health and the rage meter would be completely full so that I could when I go into this encounter next, I, I like I had a way through by using the rage in addition that I didn't have access to the first time around. I appreciated that a lot uh, because if I had to start off with the same health and same rage meter or what have you, I, the, the game would be much more difficult. I, would, I probably would have given up and be like, this game fucking sucks. But I understand. I I uh, learned obviously the more that you unlock the the skill tree, the easier it became because you had more combos and things you can do. Um, and by the end of it, like I really enjoyed how the combat worked and how fluid it became. Um, and I definitely enjoyed the 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 traveler and I enjoyed the Valkyries. I agree with you, Rebecca, that they were on a whole different level in terms of. Mm -hmm. uh, mechanics and ways that you would encounter enemies and how you kind of handle them. Uh, 
because the those two specifically the the Valkyrie and the Travelers they felt more to me enemies designed like um like Dark Souls would be uh versus like even yeah. Baldurin and the the, yeah, the yeah. bosses I Magni and Modi I understand that those are supposed to be like bad guys and like the bosses and stuff but Baldur and all them they were so easy to kill because they they had massive like tail signs that you would you would know like when they were going to attack and you could easily either dodge or block or what have you but with the traveler and with the valkyries there's no they're they're the tells are or cues are very very subtle or there's not even any it just it just happens you know mm-hmm. uh it's just like a dice rolling and whatever attack comes next is what comes next and you just have to be like on your feet i in my playthrough i only killed one valkyrie and it was at the very very end when i literally had everything um those that those fights are ridiculous i will say mm-hmm. that say that so olivia yeah. did you encounter any problems with the combat or yeah i i think just in terms I, I agree with you like the skill tree and like me actually trying to progress through it like once once i started just buying every skill and like out leveling everyone the game got a lot more like fun but also i'm just gonna burn through these guys and when I was asked to, you know, start actually fighting and, and like knowing the combat, especially in the um, what's the world where everything is like it's like randomly generated. Oh, uh, Muspelheim. Yes, in Muspelheim, because I, I like went there and I think I my gear was under leveled. And so I was like, OK, I actually have to like try to fight and get through this and just getting immediately wrecked. I was like, huh, this doesn't seem like something I was like super prepared for. And I, I wonder if that's you know, me not being experienced with Dark Souls, which is good. I kept thinking about this because I played the first couple God of War games and, you know, the axe is really different. And I did think a lot about Dark Souls. But then whenever we got the uh, Blades of Chaos, I was like, okay, this actually does kind of play like an older God of War game. But I kept being like, this is God of War seemed through the lens of like a Dark Souls game. And Rebecca, I was wondering, like, you know, you are a really big Dark Souls fan, Mm -hmm. if you could see that influence as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think anytime that you are kind of thrust into something with no preparation and the I, I think that's just like the dark souls mechanic right it's just, you're just given like here's a scenario figure it out you know what i mean right. the difficulty of it is based less on you know how hard the boss is or like your equipment or whatever but like how good you have gotten at learning how to fight it and so I think seeing that in the Valkyries and seeing them all be different and seeing them all get progressively di- more difficult, I think that was that felt really good. And I, I see what you're saying in the I in I think that I guess in the labyrinth maybe not the I think I told you that I was thinking you were talking about the fire trials, um, but definitely the labyrinth was a really interesting aspect to that because since it changed so much it was all sort of like learning like the game was giving you the like this is how you play it and so how you get past this is you have to figure it out and so i think on those that account that was that is good design and i think that they took something that dark souls does really well because that's obviously the whole game but then did it in a way that was done well and it wasn't just like it's hard because we're the dark souls of dark souls yeah it was it was a little refreshing because it it took some notes, but it wasn't... Like, I don't want to compare this game to Dark Souls. Everyone fucking compares every game to Dark Souls. Oh, this is the next Dark Souls. Oh, it's a Souls-like. And that's not this game, but they did take a few elements for maybe people who appreciate that kind of combat. And they're like, listen, yeah. if you really want to challenge, like, here are these things. Here, you know, Valkyries, uh, have at it. And, and good luck. Uh, and I appreciated yeah. that. So, I, 
I guess what I was like hoping for was more of a like, hey, here's the ramp for you to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I killed all the travelers. I killed all the rock boys. I can't remember their name, what they're called. Uh, but, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, the the yeah, the rock, the things with like the things in their chest or whatever. Like Oh, um, the elementals. Yeah, elementals. Um, I did all the side quests except for the Valkyries and like Muselheim and the other the fire world. Niflheim. Niflheim. I think yeah. Muselheim so, is the fire was... one and Niflheim is the labyrinth and I'm sorry to anyone listening yeah. who's like that bitch wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I just felt like the the level of what the game asked for me at the end of the game versus like, hey, we're going to the Valkyries. Hey, you're gonna have to go fight a randomly generated boss. Hey, here's like some um like a challenge room for you to go through mm-hmm. i just wish it had prepared me a little better because i i felt under i felt like i wasn't prepared to, for that level of skill and like you know i play a lot of things so i'm like well i think i'm done i'm not like getting anything out of this experience mm-hmm. and maybe that's just like the dark souls methodology and like tyler you're talking about everything's compared to dark souls but i think here in my limited experience with dark souls i can definitely see like oh this is like the frame counting influence like this is like they're expecting you to like kind of pay attention to the animations yeah so I, I think that comparison is fair. Um, I also was a little like turned off by the gear system. I loved it up until the end of the game. Oh, it was so much. It was just so much. Yeah, there like, was a lot. Did you I... guys grind? Like, what was your process for getting to the end of the game there? Because I, I, I was decked out in purples, but then I was like, oh, I'm still getting wrecked by these Valkyries. I should probably try to like get some of my money. But then I was like, there's nothing left to do except for me to grind. So I was wondering if that's just me or if you guys also experienced that. I didn't. You know, I did a really shitty thing where I just, like, put on the best armor that I had. And I maybe upgraded something once or twice. But I did the same thing in this game that I do in most games, which is when I get a set of armor that I think is fine, I just upgrade it and then never wear anything else ever. So I I think it was not well explained. And I think there was, it, it seemed like there was a little bit of a dissonance between we have the skill tree that is so easy to fill up, like just absurdly easy. Like you, you have all those powers by the end, but then we have this gear system that is like obsessively complex and like you could grind a bunch and level it all. Like, I feel like those two things maybe were like, could do a little bit more balancing because it's like, I would have rather had more, like I would have had more, I would have wanted, I should say more variance in my ability to play Kratos and like spec him out versus my gear is fire resistant. You know what I mean? I realize that there's more, I guess there's more nuance to it because like if you really, really get into Niflheim, there's like a whole set of armor that prevents you from taking the poison slow damage or whatever. You know what I mean? So like that would mm-hmm. be useful for that thing. And you can have the, I don't know, whatever armor in this place, but it's it was it was too many options, I felt like. Because at the end, you have, like, 60,000 gems, and it's like, I don't know what half of them do. Like, I guess I'll just start putting them in armor slots. I definitely think if I maybe put some more time into the game, I would have probably gotten there as well. I just, at the point that I was at where I'm like, oh, I beat it, I beat some Valkyries, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, like, force myself to go through this dungeon. Yeah. So maybe I'll need to re- retouch I, it. I got the same, I'm kind of the same way. I, uh, Obviously, starting off, like, your armor is shit, and eventually you can upgrade it and whatnot when you pass certain story points. But, God, they threw a lot of armor at you. And I was like, yeah. why? Give me, like, five five armors and, like, maybe two more that are, like, super epic, which is what they kind of did at the end. But, but like, why, why am I – why do I have – I understand you want to cater to different play styles. But maybe just have, I think there was like three main things you could do, right? Which was like, maybe you could do strength and then you could do runic and you could do defense. 
that was kind of like their thing is like you could be super strong you could do be super powerful magics or you can be like really defensive if you're having a lot of trouble defeating people just be a fucking tank um i kind of went like the runic strength route i guess i don't know but anyway i upgraded my armor when it felt appropriate to do so like i think i went from like level three to level five or something stupid or like when i upgraded my axe i would you know have access to the new ones i'd always i'd always be on the newer stuff so i went through quite a bit of armor although i wasn't like trying on every single one i was just like well which what's my kind of play style that i want to go for and i'll just buy this armor that's new now and uh and Did thankfully like coins were not an issue or, or currency was not an issue to do that so did some of the armor look really bad to yes. you? Yes. Like I, I, I just remember looking at that like travelers, not the travelers, that the um God, I have I have them all pulled up here because I was like, I need to know I need to share this because it just looks so stupid. Um the Reaver set, where it's like, oh, here's a t shirt that Kratos can wear. <laughs> and I just uh-huh. kept being like it was either like BDSM, like leather gear, like Mether, yeah. or it was like, here's like this like the traveler set was cool. I just like usually enjoy customizing my characters mm-hmm. in that game. I think that's like why Destiny speaks to me so much. Yeah. And then, you know, I just was like putting on like here's a dumb boar skirt for you to wear and your t shirt. Yeah. And you're like the rock dad from like the you're in his in his fifties well, figuring it out right now. I definitely appreciated all the armors that showed his titties. I was all about that armor. <laughs> I did too, actually. <laughs> so I, me and Tyler are on the same page here. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, he, he, and then uh, like I appreciate. I think your starting armor is literally like one titty is free. And you're like, it's, no, you gotta free both of them. Fighting tit. And then, the and then, the like, as tit. you upgrade your armor, like, suddenly it has two straps, and so both the titties are not freed. And you're like, no, I want the opposite of this. I want both titties to be free. It's uh, a, it's a metaphor for how Kratos is becoming a better dad. He's, he's putting <laughs> he's the tits away, covering up, becoming more <laughs> yeah. modest as we go. God of fashion. <laughs> but um, I, I can't remember what armor I ended up going with. I think it was like, I think. You unlock Sindri or Brock's armor or something. Oh, those I, were good. I, yes, Sindri's I picked great. one of those uh, to eventually roll with, and it was like a complete chest armor piece. And I was like, okay, I mean, I look badass. It's fine. It's whatever. But uh, but no titties. But no titties. If only it had no. like had the titty window. No, we're we're a father now, Olivia. We gotta be modest to our son and. Yeah. But women, yeah, though, so women gotta show their titties we, all the time. Be a good example so that yeah. uh, Treyus doesn't get his titties out. Yeah. We gotta make sure Treyus <laughs> keeps his titties in because he's a young yeah. boy. Mm-hmm. This is um, rated and for mature, everyone. <laughs> oh my god! As anyway. is this conversation? <laughs> yeah, right. We talk about the we talk about the important things on this podcast. It's true. Anyway, yeah. I, if anything, I wanted it to copy out of Dark Souls was that I needed more fashion. <laughs> That's true. Um, but I didn't, I didn't go grind like Olivia. Like I was not going to go to Niflheim and like go through the file, file, fire trials and like grind all those fucking moats and shit. I was like, no, if they're not, if the game's not going to give it to me by my, like just going nonchalantly through the, the journey that, that is set out before me, I'm not going to go out of my way to go get all this shit. Like Wolf maybe Ray. I think, did they add a, a game of uh, a plus mode, a new game plus mode? They announced it at E3. Yeah. Okay. Yet. Well, I mean, like, so maybe for that, I'll go do it whenever I feel like I want to return to this game. But for now, I'm completely satisfied with everything that I've done it, without even, like, beating all the Valkyries and getting the Valkyrie armor. Like, I'm I'm pretty set. To me, I wish they hadn't done a Valkyrie armor because to me, the Valkyries are, like, endgame. Because yeah. some of them are just so absurdly difficult that 
so you get to the end, you get your Valkyrie armor, and then it's like, cool. So I guess maybe New Game Plus then makes that armor Better. relevant again, because yeah. then you can start the game with, like, the most legit armor in the game, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the questions I had was, outside of the, like, you know, challenge room and the, uh, you know, mist area, um, was there any way to, like, actually, like, repeatedly fight bosses? Or fight enemies because it seemed like you would kill them in some places they would randomly spawn, other places they wouldn't. And I, I just felt like it was like, okay, well, am I gonna go hunt for for a grind? Like, did you guys get any like information about that or figure it out in any way? Uh... I don't know. I know that they. Tr- I, all I know is they tried to do the thing where it's like if you leave a place for a while, stuff will come back. But yeah. I think. I don't know. I think part of the thing that was frustrating to me was that you can't grind the Muspelheim trials because it would be so easy that you could just get a ton of loot from them, but they don't let you do that, so they don't let you farm there, which seems like a missed opportunity, especially because like, the randomness of when things come back is unclear. Right. I mean, like, grinding's bad. Yeah. And I know yeah. I know that I have a bad, like, I have a really bad habit of, like, well, I'm just gonna grind. Like, that's what I'm gonna do, mm-hmm. and, like, that's maybe not the best design sometimes, it's not teaching you anything, yeah. but... If you're going to have a grind in there, I would really hope you would at least be clear with, like, hey, here's the rules. And, like, Dark Souls, I feel like, ha- kind of plays with that in ways, you know, where it's, like, the first Dark Souls game, you could kind of grind out enemies by, like, resetting them out of bonfire. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Dark Souls told me, I think, it was a little different. It was. But at least you they were, like, You had limited numbers, consistent. and once you, like, did it 30 times or something, the LVM would be fucking gone. Because they were like, well, we, are- we heard Dark Souls was hard, so maybe if you just kill everything a lot then will the game will be progressively easier because you don't have to deal with as many enemies in the long run but yeah. what that ends up doing is you're literally in a world completely alone so yeah i wonder i i just sorry oh, i was just i was wondering if was that meant to create armor scarcity like you have all these armors but you uh, be really well, judicious that, about what you that like too. upgrade that too I mean, I, the thing was, that I, I like, and I know this is like kind of a side thing that I keep picking at, just like I sold all my armor and I'm like, okay, at least I can buy some, and like I bought the Sindri set, I think, mm-hmm. but I was just still getting wrecked and I'm like, I've bought everything. I've bought all the, I have all the abilities and it was just a really frustrating and like it, the end game experience was just kind of ruined for me. And that's why I was like, I gotta stop. I'm not going to like get anything out of this. So, you know, we're just talking about like end games being and something your, that's like your axe was like fully upgraded and everything too, correct? I mean, not like level yeah. five because I think level five you have to go to those fucking other realms. I I think my axe was fully upgraded. I think my axe. I don't think my. Uh... No, you're right. You're right. I didn't there's have like the literally last. there's the last one upgrade. level. You can get all yeah. your skills by being level four, but like the axe itself has one more level to it. Apparently, right. I never got it. I think it was the axe and the. Uh... Blades. blades that you need like the one piece of flame or whatever yeah. it is and i didn't have those and i was just like okay i think i'm done yeah. but you know that experience i think the core experience of that game is really solid i just you know if you're gonna have extra content in there i just would have wished it would have been made a little clearer how you're supposed to get on the ramp to that content yeah i guess i will say that like in spite of the flaws of the storytelling and i think in spite of the kind of interesting design choices i and i don't know i'm interested to hear what you guys how you guys are feeling now on the other side of it, but I still feel like it was one of the best games that I have played in a long time. Like, and it's interesting that a game that has so many problems can still be that. And I don't know if you felt that way, obviously, but um, I didn't want to put it down. Like I spent a lot of time, like I always wanted to know, like it felt very gripping and I still, I felt like I 
I cared a lot. So to the point where when it was over, I actually felt a sense of like almost sort of like, oh, that's too bad. Like I, I had enjoyed following this this story up until that point, and so I I think it makes me. I don't know, enthusiastic, I would say, looking forward, because my hope would be that, you know, they can take the experience that they created here and knowing that they're continuing on to make more in the series and knowing that, you know, they obviously have this new guy at the helm that perhaps maybe we can improve upon what's already been done. Like maybe we will curb the fridging and maybe we can vary the enemies knowing that this one especially was so successful. So I don't know. How how are you guys feeling now kind of at the end of it? Having played it, you've put it down, you know, maybe the the impetus to replay it really isn't there right now. You know, how are you guys feeling? Olivia, tell me a little bit about how you're feeling at the end of this. Yeah, I, I definitely think at the end of the game, you know, we had a conversation at that point, I think we all were in our group chat, and, you know, it made me want to have more answers. Like that game ends on like, oh, you know, Atreus is Loki, and that's kind of how it ends. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, there's like a larger mythos here that involves Kratos. Like everything was predetermined, mm-hmm. predestined, I guess is the better word. Um, but I really was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I really want to know like what the payoff is here. And then it ended. And I was like, oh, that's that's really a bummer because I would have liked to get more information about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, even my issues with Freya and like how that resolved itself, I was like, oh, cool, I want to know what happens at this point. Like, I want to know where this story goes. Like, I was really hoping we'd at least get to see Thor, but, yeah. you know, I understand that this is, like, the first in probably a trilogy of games that yeah. they're going to put out. Uh-huh. So I, I definitely think, like, in terms of, like, you know, storytelling, you know, everything between the main missions was really engaging and really gripping. The characterizations were really amazing. Like, you know, even with the issues of Atreus, like, I can't think of any other characters that were written as well. And, you know, you redeem a guy who fucks, like, randomly. Like, they yeah. actually made Kratos, like, someone who, you know, you don't really want to be around, but you can at least see how he got to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, if you fill in the gaps, you're like, oh, cool. Kratos is actually a character I'd want to, like, see more of and see where how he evolves. So, yeah. definitely, definitely one of, like, the better achievements in storytelling, even with his issues. Mm-hmm. And. Tyler, true. how were you feeling about everything? Yeah, no, uh, I I really enjoyed the game. Um, I definitely, it's definitely one of the better games I've played, you know, this year so far. Um, and it, like the the world is just fucking gorgeous, though. Like, it is beautiful for a, a game that's on the PlayStation. I mean, not that all games are like not beautiful or whatever, but it's just really, really gorgeous. Um, and it, it has a lot of really good design to it. Uh, the story. I enjoyed, but it did kind of fall short at the very end because it was just like a whole bunch of plot stuff happens within like 10 minutes and it's a little hard to absorb everything all at once. But I mean, it's an ending and I felt satisfied. Um, and like that very like last walk to the summit was really nice because it was a very slow and like reflective period. Um mm-hmm and a good way to end the game i thought so i'm i am excited to see what santa monica is going to do with it i don't know if ragnarok is going to be like the next game or if there's going to be any expansions to this game i don't think there's going to be an expansion to this game personally i i, I don't think so yeah. i feel like it's just going to be the the next thing is going to be the next game and either that's if it is going to be a trilogy ragnarok can't happen next game although this this game heavily alludes to it um so who knows maybe it'll just be like a dual a two-parter you know uh and ragnarok will happen next time i mean that's kind of 
how it happens, right? So Yeah, I'm definitely interested to see because Loki is a huge hinged character yes. in the myth of he Ragnarok. Is. And so I'm interested to see how Atreus grows and whether or not, you know, we'll have like a Last of Us one, the Last of Us two situation where we end up playing Atreus kind of in the end. Yeah. Um as as he sort of takes over. I'm I'm not sure. I think I don't have high hopes based on how they portrayed the myth in this game, but like Loki in the mythology is a very gender fluid character. He's a very um, unreliable character in a lot of interesting ways. And so I'm curious to see how they try to use Atreus as a vehicle to, to achieve that sort of trickster role. Mm -hmm. So we'll say, well, it would be interesting to see, it would be interesting if this is what like the whole plot would be is if next game is Ragnarok and, we play as Kratos like halfway through and then he dies and it's, we're playing as Atreus or like, let's say Kratos dies at like the very end. And then like we play as Atreus for like a little bit and then the game ends. And then the third game would be Atreus trying to get revenge for his dad or trying to correct the world since it has now shifted to this apocalyptic state. But, um, I, who knows, who knows? This is, these are things are like eight years off. I'm sure. Uh, so <laughs> we'll see, but a very well done game overall, in my opinion, from Santa Monica, um, having not played the, any of God of War, I really enjoyed it. So did one thing I wanted to touch on before we close up this conversation was just the Faye, like the mom of Atreus and mm -hmm. how, you know, this is like a predestined relationship. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, if she really had like totally altruistic motives in getting in a relationship That's mm -hmm. true. with Kratos, like it seems like from the you know at the end of the game we got some cave paintings of like oh here's like what is going to happen in the future it shows like i think uh i think kratos is on the ground with atreus next to him is that right like kratos has like stuff yes coming out of him. like yeah. it, it depicts kratos dying and, and atreus weeping over his body i believe yeah so i i really questioned like that was my main question coming out of the game was like well what is like phase like what was her motive you know because she seemed like she had a motive for them to find this she had a motive for protecting Atreus in the beginning until she died, mm -hmm. which we don't really get any clarity on. Like, is, how did she die? You know what I mean? Or why? Mm -hmm. And yeah. we also see, right. And we also see all of the like dead giants in uh, Jotunheim, I think. Is that what it's called? Jotunheim? Yeah. Jotunheim. There. Yeah. And like, I, I guess I just wondered like, oh, it doesn't seem like my, my read was like, oh, is Faye actually like a totally altruistic character? Did you guys have any questions like that when you walked away from the game? Yeah, I definitely am wondering, because I feel like a big aspect of this game was Kratos reflecting on how he had ultimately murdered his father. And I think he's in a position now where he has this son who has some powers and probably is in a position to, if things are handled poorly or fate just does what it does, he could be killed by Atreus because that's like their curse, right? That's the way that gods are. Gods mm -hmm. kill their fathers. And so I, I'm interested to see if like, was her, is if it's altruistic, is it because she's trying to help them break this cycle of death or, you know, is it, is, is it perhaps that she was maybe more of an unreliable influence than we no, I don't know. I, I I'm just interested. I'm interested to see how they try to address that kind of ultimate lingering thing of you know Kratos killed Zeus. So does that mean Atreus will kill Kratos? Right, I, and like the generational. Yeah, uh -huh. I hope it's Sorry, not go. that because if to me personally, just it seems boring. Like I feel like they could do some different things and break the mold, so to speak. 
uh, as far as like Freya and or excuse me, uh, Faye, uh, and like how what who she is and what she's doing, I don't know. It, I I kind of got a sense of like time travel in a sense. Like she was a giant, but she could be have some mystical time travel power or something because obviously there's a prophecy. Or maybe it's just a prophecy, and she's like, "Well, I have to be the one to like fulfill this prophecy or something. Who knows?" But obviously, I feel like she somehow she knew all of this about this prophecy, obviously, and then implanted herself into the lives of Kratos uh, and and Atreus essentially, or to give birth to Atreus to to end this this death uh, cycle that's going to happen here in the future uh, with Ragnarok. Like Atreus is going to be the one who prevents that apparently i don't know i mean who knows and they obviously they're not um this norse mythology world is not necessarily canon north mythology it's very it's kind of loosely based it's not obviously like straight from the books this is what happens but so i mean there, there could be some twisting of it uh who knows where they're gonna go with it but it would be just be interesting to learn more about her and what her motives were, like Olivia was saying, because I feel like she wasn't necessarily like devious, but I feel like she definitely chose to be with Kratos for a reason beyond just yeah. strangers meeting and falling in love. And Happened we, chance. Right. we we can't forget too that the I I say we can't forget because I forgot until just now the marking of the trees, the trees it, that exactly. she marked. The, the cutting down of the trees ended the protective bubble that had been over the home exactly. while she had been alive. Right. Which so, brought Boulder in. So. Right, and it's like, well, and, she must have known that these things would have happened, so she has to be tied to time in some sense. And I feel like there was a loose lore dump when you were in the temple going through Odin's chambers, and it was there was kind of a time travel reference there. I can't remember exactly, but I get oh, the fact that time traveled, and so they were oh, kind of saying tier. that, like, right. the god of war in all religions, like or pantheons, I should say, was the same guy. So as, exactly, so maybe that's where my like kind of suspicions are coming from is that mm-hmm. Faye was had some sort of time traveling ability. Maybe Tyr told her this is what's going to happen, and you need to do these things in order for this to happen, because I've seen it, and I don't want it to happen. We want to change it, blah, blah, blah. Who knows? I totally forgot about the, the like, mural you see of, like, oh, here's, like, some Mayan civilizations. Like, yeah. oh, here's, like, some, like, Southeast Asian civilizations, like, Egypt. Like, I'm, like, that actually got me super excited, because mm-hmm. I'm, like, oh, is Ragnarok going to be, like, oh, we're fighting all of the gods? Like, we're literally fighting every pantheon from every, mm-hmm. you know culture and i'm like i want to kill raw like that sounds pretty cool to me actually yeah (laughs) so um who knows who knows where this is gonna take us but i'm definitely gonna excuse me i'm definitely gonna go along with the journey so one final question i had for rebecca was just Mm -hmm. in terms of like the eddas like there's no real canon like there's multiple different versions of the eddas right and there's no real canonical version and maybe the stories sometimes conflict is that right um yes and no so it kind of depends on the source so there was one dude um snorri sturlson who was like the guy kind of that wrote them all down and so there are like stories and then there are eddas and so there is some conflicting information there are some that are kind of like all written by the same guy so there's a little bit more coherence in the stories um i don't know if there's a canon necessarily but there's like you know the way we tell the balder story is the same 
generally. And so, like, mm-hmm. the reason why we kiss under the mistletoe at Christmas time is because that was a pagan ritual in honor of Balder, who had been killed by mistletoe. You know what I mean? Like, that is how, mm-hmm. like, that tracks. Um, so I, I think just some of the, like, ulterior stories can sometimes conflict. And the characters themselves often conflict in their motives, but a lot of that is often kind of described away because it's like they're gods and they don't, they're not beholden to like a human concept of having one singular personality. You know what I mean? So like Odin is depicted as being like awful and then also like cool and then also like a trickster and then also like, you know, here, there, wherever. So I would say there is like an official, the poetic Edda is kind of like the official one, but I think it's very much like the, the Greek mythos where that like the Zeus stories are kind of all coming all over the place and those are coming from a bunch of different authors and um right. the bible also very much like writ- being written in pieces by a bunch of different people there's a lot of like weird depictions of things and kind of conflicting information I'm probably gonna go ahead yeah, for yeah. saying that I'm really sorry um but like that <laughs> but that like that the Norse Eddas are very much the same as it is like across the thing you can buy them in a book that's how I learn them was just because i read the book it's really interesting they're they're good stories yeah. but it also made playing well, I, this game real hard <laughs> because it was like I, I could see the writing on the wall and then i got mad when it was like it didn't make sense yeah and and i can definitely i think the thing that tyler your like theory about time travel is just like how conflicting those stories can be and even like when you're asked to kind of be like oh like they're the same person even though like in some of the canonical sources where it's like oh no actually tier and you know not tier but the other freya and frig are two different players. yeah and i wonder how much like this game seemed comfortable kind of leaving some things open mm-hmm. like not everything has to be explained and actually all the information can be like mamir's memory is a little like hazy mm-hmm. so i'm interested to see how how much it kind of like lives in that ambiguity because i think that's a fun place to be yeah. and like oh once time travel gets started it just get, totally fucks up every timeline right. ever yeah it definitely allows for uh, interesting creativity to happen later on down the line so mm-hmm. um it it's it's different I, i'm actually glad that i've learned more about it now because you know my first and only real uh depiction of north mythology is through marvel which is not at all it's very wrong it's very yeah <laughs> it's very corrupt in the sense that it's just completely different so um any final thoughts god of war i'm embarrassed that i bought a bunch of god of war merch because i was like really into this game <laughs> now i have all these like kratos figures like oh boy that's a... with the titties yeah, so I have one. I have one with his one titty out, and then I'm gonna get. I I pre-ordered his little Nendroid, so he has like little cartoon titties. So you know, obviously, <laughs> I think that's a good investment. Yeah, left titty out. Uh, Should we do some endorsements? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I know we talked about this on our last podcast, but I feel like obviously we always want to give credit where credit is due to um, a pod group that we really love, um, the Idle Thumbs dudes, and specifically their podcast, Important If True. They do endorsements at the end of products that they really like, and we really like them. Um, so we want to do some endorsements of some games. Um, so Tyler, start us off. What what are you endorsing today? Well, I'm going to endorse something from my backlog, I suppose. Uh we really should do backlog. Like I'm, I'm, I'm always 100 percent serious when I said we should do backlog I episodes. Am because for it, 
Yes, we're never going to get through anything if we no. don't force ourselves to do it for this podcast. No. So if those of you are a little confused with what we're talking about backlog, we're talking about uh, Steam and specifically the summer sale and all of the sales, the summer sale, winter sale, autumn sale, I don't know, 4th of July sale, whatever the fuck, it's a sale yeah. uh, every year. And you buy all these games because they're really cheap, discounted, and you buy like 50 games and you don't play them because mm-hmm. it, there's too many games suddenly. Mm-hmm. So... Summer sale is going on right now, but we're not going to really like highlight what's going on. Uh, but here are a few games from my backlog that I have yet to play that I know are stellar and amazing, and I would love I would like, love them to death, but I haven't touched yet. I need to play Quadrilateral Cowboy from oh, Brandon Chung, mm-hmm. and I need to play Evil Within and Evil Within Two. Like I have both of those games. I'm an avid horror fan. I don't know why I haven't touched that game. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am you didn't I play being the first hesitant? one? I have not played the first one. Believe it or not, I for some reason thought you had like totally like owned no. the first one. No, yeah. and the second one came out, and I bought it on like I think I bought it actually through Humble Bundle because it was like buy these two games and they're both like thirty dollars. I'm like fuck yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it because why not? <laughs> yeah. um, but I haven't played it yet, and I've I've heard that it's a it's a it's a good game for being a horror game. Like it doesn't do necessarily anything different. It's not like an Outlast or an Alien um, isolation situation where it does something different with this genre, but it's an interesting story, is what I've heard. Um, and it's kind of has uh, it leans more towards like a Silent Hill, Resident Evil uh, vibe to it. So I don't know. I have to play this game. So that's what I recommend. So Evil Within and uh, uh, Quadrilateral Cowboy are my endorsements because while I have not played them, I know that they are pretty great. Um, who, Rebecca, what are your endorsements? Um, so I too have a backlog as long as the day is long. Um, on this note, did you guys ever look up what your, um, um, Steam account is worth? Because that made me feel even worse about my current situation. I don't, I'm not going to share the number. It's disgusting. Okay. Mine was uh, equally disgusting, but then I saw someone in the games Reddit saying that their account was worth like $12,000. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm not that bad. Um, but yeah, I have a, I have a bunch of stuff in my backlog. Um, I'm in the, a really weird zone where all I want to play are games that are cyberpunk themed and games that are like Lovecrafty and horror themed. So that's, that's really weird. Um, but I picked up Sunless Sea finally and um i want to play that because i've been playing yeah i've I've been playing a lot of cultist simulator and so now i'm like trying to kind of go back into their mythos um and then i also was excited to pick up um where the water tastes like wine i haven't played that one yet it's um kind of an americana storytelling game i I think uh, it does maybe some interesting things with I, i guess storytelling is sort of a currency in that game and that's sort of how you get across you know kind of the maybe the Appalachian mountain ranges is just trading stories with people and like learning how to tell the right story to the right person at the right time. And so I, I, I'm really interested in the way that they, um, the way that they handle that. So those are the two things that I, I'm really excited to play. And so obviously because I have such a large backlog, I went and I started playing sword and sorcery again because. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The one game you've never played. Before, yeah. The one game that I have not played like 600 times in several oh, iterations. God, so but, good. Man, sword and sorcery is so good. So I guess my endorsements are uh, buy Sunless Sea, buy Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, don't play them, play Sword Sorcery. That's terrible, <laughs> I'm sorry. Olivia, what are you endorsing? 
Oh, God. Well, so we had talked about doing the backlog, and I I have a bunch of games there that I'm like, oh, I need to play this. Like, I have Stardew Valley that I've started, like, ten times, and I get to winter, and I'm like, I'll come back to this, and I never do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I should, re- I should restart this. Um, I've had Dropsy on my list for, like, ever. Okay. Because apparently... Apparently that's supposed to just be like a couple hours, and I'm like, I'll burn through this. And I bought um, what's the what's the game by the Gone Home developers? Um, Tacoma. God, yeah, I bought Tacoma and I installed it like six months ago, and I'm like, yeah, I'll play this, and I still haven't gotten to it. So I'll play those three games before our next cast. I think I'll beat them all. <laughs> Not. <laughs> um, I did want to talk specifically though about Yarny Two because that did just come out mm-hmm. recently. Oh yeah, and I I got an opportunity to start it. And I wasn't the biggest fan of the first game. I feel like some of the platforming was a little floaty and not super great. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the penalties, like the way that if you died, it would just take forever to reset. Like that was really annoying to me. Um, in the second game, they've added like, you know, wall jumping. They've made it feel a little tighter in terms of like your actual, you know, jumping and like platforming. And you can play co-op, which is really neat. And like the co-op is actually super well thought out. So it's like, there are puzzles you need to solve that involve like two players. If one, if you just need to get through a hard platforming section, um, you can actually have the second player like go inside of the first player, like combine their yarns into one character, and then just have that person get them through that section. So, me and my partner have been playing through Yarny Two, and that's been actually a really fun experience. And I haven't seen that much coverage about it. Um, you know, it was announced E three. They launched it like the same day they announced it, or shortly thereafter mm-hmm. so i would really recommend everyone get a chance to go look at yarny too yeah i looked like a game when it was announced on e3 i'm like oh shit they really did that and uh i i don't know it looked really amazing so i definitely i haven't even played the first one but i love the game i love you know i love the developer like i i misspoke the name is unravel too it's not yarny too yarny's the Unra- character <laughs> we know what you meant though but yes unravel unravel one and unravel two i haven't played either of those games but I've have them both because I love the developer. Every time he comes up to speak on stage, he just gets so emotional, and that's just beautiful to see. So, mm-hmm. yarning is love. Yarning is life. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, those are our endorsements. We did not make someone mad at us today. I don't think so. We don't have to add someone to the never gonna um, promote us or never going to corporate sponsor us list so fuck todd howard okay so bethesda (laughs) now on the list with quantic dream and all of sony (laughs) i wanted bethesda sponsor us somehow (laughs) sorry i know i we'll just we'll like break off under some pseudonyms yeah we'll break off under pseudonyms (laughs) and do a uh an elder scrolls 6 um like crazy um I don't know. Theory yeah, like yeah, like a crazy mystery cast. Where is it located? Is it Valenwood? Is it High Rock? Are we going to go hang out with some Khajiits? I don't Khajiit know. Khajiit have wares and you have coins? I, I think we're going to go to the Skyrim. Black Marsh. It's, it's Skyrim it's too. So. Did I tell you I'm about ready to buy Skyrim on my Switch because I've lost control oh my of God, my life? Stop. I've lost control of my life. It's like my sixth copy. Todd Howard. Please, Fuck Todd please Howard. Sponsor. I just want more Skyrim. <laughs> All right, for the greetings from podcast, my name is Rebecca Fay. You can find me on Twitter at, at Rebecca Fay. It's pretty easy. Uh, Tyler, where can they find you? Find me on Twitter at WorldJumpin. Drop the G. Jump in. Olivia, where are you at online? You can find me on Twitter at LiveJQ. Cool. I don't know where we're traveling next time, but that'll be fun for us, too. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Greetings From. Our intro and outro music is an edited version of Deep Fried Space Food by Substitute Sandwiches. You can find a link to the song in the podcast description. You can listen to more episodes at greetingsfromcast.com. We are on Twitter and Twitch at greetingsfrompc.com.